Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. My guest this week was just way ahead of the game when it came to hating on Elon Musk. This nigga Elon Musk be going to space by himself. What the fuck is that white man doing in space alone? That's not suspicious to anybody but me? That this motherfucker goes to space without the government, without NASA? Which I didn't even know you could fucking do. As far as I knew, they were the space niggas. They run space. You want to fuck with space, you got to fuck with them. This motherfucker built a spaceship like it's a go-kart, goes on Tuesdays. This space day is Saturday! Everybody know that! You can't leave midweek to go to goddamn space! It's an event, it happens Saturday, the TV's on, this nigga be going Wednesday night. What? From Sacramento at that bitch, space place is Cape Canaveral, that's where you go from. Ain't no entry point to Mars from fucking Sacramento. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Sam Jay from her 2020 Netflix special, Three in the Morning. Sam was actually one of our very first guests on this podcast all the way back in the spring of 2019. But so much has happened in her life and career since then that I could not wait any longer to have her back. Over the past few years, Sam ended her run as a writer on Saturday Night Live, put out that first one-hour stand-up special, Three in the Morning, on Netflix, launched her own late-night style show, Pause, on HBO, and co-created the very funny sitcom, Bust Down, for Peacock. Now she has made her film debut as the best friend and podcast co-host of Jonah Hill's character in the new movie, You People, which has been sitting on top of Netflix's top 10 list for the past couple of weeks. We get into all of it in this conversation, including why she decided to move on from SNL, how she handles the backlash to some of her own controversial stand-up material, and what she wants to tackle next. Here's me with Sam Jay. Well... Thank you for doing this. I was looking back. You were on this podcast once before, and I, I won't be insulted if you if you don't remember because it was a, a kind of strange situation in, at South by Southwest in uh, 2019. You were one of our very first guests. Um, oh yeah, we, no. we, we taped it in this uh, in this strange warehouse uh, outside of outside of Austin. Oh yeah, doing outside of the thing. Yeah, I do. So, uh, but but it's good to have you back. Um, I feel like at that point, that was one of the first ones we did, and I had no idea what I was doing yet. So, thank you for for bearing with me, and uh, hopefully, we can we can do even better now. Yeah, all good. I do remember that though. <laughs> um, but really, you know, that so that was like almost four years ago, and so much has happened in your career since then. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you were still in the middle of your run as an SNL writer at that time, yep. and I was looking, and I saw, you know, I think it was just later that year. Uh, Eddie Murphy hosted SNL. Um, and was that the first time that you, that you met him? Yes. What yeah. was, what was that experience like? Cause I want to get to the movie, but I, I thought maybe we could start there and, and sort of what it was like to, to meet him in that context for the first time, you know, now four years before you actually worked together. 
wild, you know, it was it was wild because it was like he hadn't been there in years. You know what I mean? And he was coming back and like, of course, the whole like studio and everybody was like a buzz. You know what I mean? None of us could believe it was happening. You know what I mean? And um, it was just surreal. That's really all I, how I can describe that whole week was just very surreal. It was real, like I'm sitting in a room with Eddie Murphy, like, you know. I definitely nerded out and like asked him a ton of questions. <laughs> I am sorry if I'm driving you insane. You know what I mean? But he was really cool about answering them and stuff. Did you get to really collaborate with him on anything at that point? I mean, did you pitch things to him and did did anything end up happening? You have to pitch stuff. And then um we did that uh that Black Jeopardy sketch together. Yeah. So what was it like sort of getting to to actually work with him at that point? I don't know. It's still surreal. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the move changes. I don't think it goes from like, you know, surreal to I got this. You're still just standing there going, eh, I'm working with Eddie Murphy. This is crazy. You know what I mean? What up? What up? Welcome to Black Jeopardy, the only Jeopardy that starts sometime between eight and nine (laughs) o'clock. I'm your host, Darnell Hayes. Our contestants today are Rashad. What's cracking? Kiana. Hey. And uh, Mr. Velvet Jones. Hi, I'm Velvet Jones. Well, it says here you're the founder of the Velvet Jones School of Technology. That's right. I show ladies how to start their own business making up to $1,500 a week with my number one bestseller, I Wanna Be a Hope. Yeah, and then I saw you were, you were also there when Jonah Hill hosted. Um, and, of course, you guys play sort of like best friends, uh, podcast co-hosts in, in You People. Did you did you get to know him much uh, that week at SNL as well? No. No? <laughs> didn't work with him as, as closely as, uh, as Eddie? Um, I didn't do anything on that week. So we didn't have any real, like, interactions like that. Um, so now, obviously, so you, you come into this movie um, and you have to play his his best friend and we have to believe that you guys have been friends for a long time. So what was it like sort of getting to know him uh, to do that? Uh, cool. Jonah's mad cool. So it was cool. The vibes were good. You know what I mean? It never felt. But the, I guess like that first meeting is always awkward because you just it's the first meeting. You don't know the person, but it, it kind of fell into a rhythm pretty quickly because he was super chill and. Um, I'm a Jonah Hill fan, so I would ask him a bunch of questions and stuff like during downtime and breaks. And he was really cool about answering them. And that kind of grew to us just having bigger conversations about life and dating and all types of stuff. So by the time we kind of got to the rhythm of the podcast, it felt like I knew him enough to pull off the vibes that were required. Yeah. And he co-wrote the movie as well um, with Kenya Barris. Um, so I know you're, you know, you're a writer, you're used to, you know, collaborating with people in that, in that way. So, um, did you, what kind of conversations did you have with, with Jonah and Kenya about the, about the, the script or, or your character or, or sort of going in what, what they were looking for? Um, honestly, they just kind of told me to bring my own, my own flavor to it. Like that, you know, the script was just kind of like guardrails and I should try to implant as much as me into it as I can. And so, um, and that way it was super collaborative, you know, I would just, you know, mostly to Kenya, cause at that point, Jonah's like acting and stuff. And so he's on a different gear. So most to Kenya, I would like bring him notes or be like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing it this way. Is I like who with you or whatever, you know, how does that feel to, to you or whatever? Um, and then just kind of run with it and see if it works. Have you talked to her family yet? Uh, no, 
Do you plan to? Yeah, I just haven't had the chance to meet them. So you're telling me you're about to ask their only adult daughter to marry you with this baby-ass ring, and you haven't even met her parents? Bro, white dudes really do be out here living by their own code. You got to make up a story or something for this, bro. Yeah, it is a small ring. You think her family will judge me and stuff? I'm judging you. This is terrible. I read somewhere that the, your character Mo was originally written as a man. Is that did they tell you that, or did you did you hear that somewhere along the process? Yeah, King had told me that uh, uh, that idea at first. Yeah, but then at some point they he thought of you, or he reached out to you directly about it. Yeah, and what was that conversation like? I mean, because you <laughs> this is you hadn't really been in a in a movie before, and now you're you're playing a pretty major role in this one um, as the sort of classic uh, rom com uh, best friend. Um, he just asked me if I wanted to do it. He was like, I have this role and I think that you could do it. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and he was like, all right, cool. It's going to be you and Jonah and Eddie. And I was like, what? And he was like, <laughs> yeah, Nia, da, da, da. and I was like, this is crazy. And, um, I kind of didn't believe it. And then like a week later, maybe two weeks later, my manager was like, hey, we got this offer for you to do this movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, I talked to Kim. Oh, that was real? <laughs> that was real, kind of, was the feeling like, yeah, I guess that's real. Let's go. And that was kind of it. So you were, it was kind of, must have been kind of intimidating the thought of it when you when you got cast and knowing everyone who was in it. What was it like once you got on set? And you have a, a couple scenes with Eddie. Um, you know, most of them are with Jonah, but then there's all the, the whole section, uh, you know, in Vegas and everything with, with Eddie. So what was what was that like to to get into that? Um, I mean, overwhelming again. You know, it's just it's a lot of big players. I've been doing it for a long time. So I feel like for me, I was just trying to make sure I was keeping up. You know what I mean? And, and um, just make sure I was swimming in the stream with the rest of the salmon, you know, and not kind of. <laughs> being left behind. So I was just trying to hold my my part of the deal. Did you get the chance to contribute any jokes, ideas, lines, you know, things that, that kind of happened in the moment that actually made it into the, the film? Yeah, I mean, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Anything that comes to mind or or that you, you remember uh, sort of coming uh, up with on the spot? The line on the plane with me and Eddie, uh, some of the riffs in the podcast, the Wendy Ears riff. It's just different stuff all throughout the film. Um, you know, I think when when I saw this film was announced, I was it's the cast is is so amazing that I was I was sort of automatically excited for it. I think I was a little skeptical just based on the premise. Um and I know there there have been some, you know, criticisms of of that. Um did you have any reservations going in just about the sort of the idea behind the movie? Not really. Um, yeah, I feel like there's there's been some, I don't know how much you, you know, read reviews or, or look at that stuff, but there's been some response, people who, you know, feel like it kind of focuses a little too much on racial stereotypes, um, sort of the clash between black and white. Um, did you did you feel that at all? Or what do you think of those criticisms? Everybody has an opinion. And they have like <laughs> yeah, I feel like... Uh, Kenya Barris, for whatever reason, gets a gets a lot of uh, you know opinions uh, thrown his way. Um, do you do you think it's uh, you know unfair, or how do you, how do you think about the the sort of stuff that he gets? Uh, That's the business of making stuff. People have opinions about <laughs> it. I mean, there's really no way around that. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, there's people who love it and feel like it was great and gave them what they needed and opened up conversations for them and there's people who hate it and feel like it was bad for society. And that's just what happens when you make anything. 
Yeah, well, it does seem like as for as for whatever the the critical response was, it's been incredibly successful uh, on Netflix. I see it's you know the number one movie there for you know basically since it premiered. Um, so it must be connecting with with fans. Uh, have you heard from you know people uh, in that you know just from people who have seen it and and what kind of feedback have you gotten? People have you know said like they liked it or DM and be like, oh, I loved you in the movie and I thought it was funny and. You know, there's been positive for sure. Did it make you want to do more stuff like this, more, you know, acting, more more films? Or, or how do you think about, you know, sort of where where you would want to go after doing this? I mean, it made me open to it. I don't know if I was like, oh, I need to get on another movie tomorrow. You know, it just made me open to the idea for sure. Coming up, Sam talks about the decision to walk away from SNL and create her own comedic platform on HBO. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Lab, you can listen to our previous conversation with Sam Jay, if you must, as well as episodes with other SNL alums like Colin Quinn, Melissa Villasenor, Chris Redd, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Sam J. So I want to kind of go back to, uh, you know, some of the, the other stuff that you've done since we, since we last talked. Um, and going back to, to SNL, we talked a lot about, you know, the process of joining the show last time. But why did you decide to, to leave it at the end of, of 2020? What, what went into that decision? Uh, I went to make pause and I couldn't do. <laughs> so it was, just, it was just that opportunity, you know, came along and, and that's what you, what you wanted to do? Yeah. I don't know if this is uh, accurate or not, but I saw on, I just saw on IMDb. You uh, did you come back to write for the Michael B. Jordan episode this past week? Yeah. Um, so what was that? Just something that that you wanted to do, or did does he ask you to do that, or how did that happen? Uh, we have mutual friends. Um, he hit me up and was like, "Would you come back?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." It was. I think it was just more of like a comfortability thing, and you know, I know the process very well, and it can be. It can be an overwhelming process to just walk into, um, and it it was a good time. I had fun. Yeah. What was the you know when you're sort of there week in and week out? It must be very intense. But was there kind of something liberating about coming back and knowing it was just sort of for of one week and it was fun? 
Of course, the, the, you know, the stakes are a lot lower. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> stressed out about it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, did it give you kind of any, any P PTSD about the, you know, the long nights or, or being in that building or, or anything well, like um, that? I, I, I have a very good relationship with the show. I have very good and very fond memories of being there. And I have friends that are still there. I've never, I, I you know, Lauren still sends me gifts on my birthday. Like I just have a good <laughs> relationship with the show. Yeah, so that's I, amazing. I don't really have like that type of vibe at all no what were the sketches that you worked on uh this past week with with him um did any of them make it well um no none of them made it none of them made it in yeah none one is up online right now it was like a feature sketch but other than that none of them made it in and the good book tells us if you want to live like jesus mm -hmm. we have to give like jesus so let's start filling up those baskets y'all right ah. all right because the church is in need brothers and sisters mm. in need of a new roof mm. in need of a new robes for the choir mm -hmm. in need of an outdoor pizza oven <laughs> wait what's that uh, he said we should all try to live like Jesus. That's what he said. Right. After that. I said the church need a new roof. After that. A new choir robes. After that. I said welcome to the 19th Street Baptist Church. Now you know that was way earlier. Yeah, you said the church needs a pizza oven. A pizza oven! <laughs> Well, that's nice that at least uh, something got goes online and, and people can see it because that's how people see, most people see the show probably at this point anyway is, is that way. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I never really sweat that kind of like getting things on or not because the show is such a, you're always contributing to the show. You're always, you're always pitching, you're always throwing out ideas. So it's like, hey, you don't get all the sketch on, but you'll see a joke of yours here or there or whatever throughout the show. So it never was like a, you know a big, big, big deal to me. I'm like, I gotta get, at some point I had to let that mentality go anyway, or, you know, you'll just drive yourself insane. Um, so let's talk about pause, which is a show that, that I love. And that's, you know, so that's why you, why you left to do that. Um, and it was this really big opportunity to do your own thing and congrats on the, uh, writer's guild, uh, nomination, by the way, I saw you guys just yeah. got, that was very cool. So, how did you think about that when you, you know, it was time to time to leave SNL, you know, time to do your own thing? What was what were your thoughts about what you wanted to make and, and what you wanted to be? I just wanted to make a vehicle that made sense for me and that felt like me. And uh, it didn't uh, it didn't feel right for me to sit behind a desk. I just didn't want to do that. And so trying to think of a late night show format that allowed me some freedom of thought, expression and also just something I hadn't scene was really what I was where my brain was was just like what what is needed in this area we already have a bunch of shows with people behind desks but what do we not have what haven't we seen and and what's another way to spark conversation and dialogue and um I just tried to make something that was I don't want to say grounded but something that was more connected to actual people that was like a thing that we kept toting was like we know what because like normal contemporaries and the, the people that everyone talks to in the corner West and whoever you call on race and whoever <laughs> you call on politics, where we're very clear on what they think about things, but like what are day-to-day -day people thinking and what are day-to-day -day people saying and, and how are they feeling? And so we were kind of like, yeah, we want to do a show where our guests are just like people. I Yeah, I think the show is so unique and, and does feel so different from everything else on TV. Um, I actually used to work with one of your directors, uh, Bashan, who I was just talking to, and he says, he says, hey. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, it is such a unique show because I think especially because of that sort of party scenes that you guys do, um, uh, was that always, was that the idea from the beginning to include those or how did that idea sort of come about? I mean, we just had a lot of different iterations of ideas, <laughs> honestly. And, and, you know, we were just trying to find the one that made sense and, and, and fit. And at some point I was like, Hey, look, it should be a party. And like, I, I called princess drunk and I was like, yo, I get it. It should be a party. Da, da, da. <laughs> And I was like, do you get it? And he was like, no, I don't understand what you're talking about. And I was like, cool, I'm going to call you when I'm sober. So I called him the next morning and I explained it to him better than I did previously. And he was like, oh, yeah, I see what you said. And like, kind of like a Playboy After Dark thing. And I was like, yeah, but like more like, like a real party and like a real apartment. And so we were like, hey, let's try it, you know? And, and we went to HBO and said, this is the direction we want to go in. And they were like, let's see. Were there any times when those party scenes really went off the rails in a way that was unexpected or, or a way uh -huh. that we was it always kind of <laughs> under control? All the time. It was an actual party, you know? So it went off the rails a bunch. We just, you know, <laughs> edit that stuff out. <laughs> keep what you... Just keep what's uh, what makes sense. Yeah, well, it's an actual party. So people are, you know, partying. Yeah. And you got to really, you got to invite a lot of your, you know, real friends and, and a lot of really great comedians on to have those, those conversations. I don't know. Is there, is there any, you know, conversation from, from one of those party scenes that, that stands out in your memory as, as sort of changing your mind about something? Cause I know sort of a big part of the show is sort of is presenting different points of view and, and, and that kind of thing. So were there any, any times where you left thinking about something differently? Yeah, I mean, I feel like every episode I left a little different. I, it wasn't necessarily from the party. It was just from the exploration of the topic in its entirety, from the party interviews to the, the activations or sketches or whatever you want to call them. And it was like kind of leaving that whole experience because I'm I'm truly going through the whole experience. So I feel like every single one of them I left a little bit with some more perspective and being like, oh, yeah, okay. I never thought about that or that's interesting or I never, you know, saw it from that that standpoint. I feel like when you get it, white people feel like they gave it to you. It's such a yeah, privilege. Yeah, yeah. So it's like at any point we can take this from you. If you right. don't behave the way we want you to behave, right. if you don't do the things we want you to do, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, look what the fuck they did to Wesley Snipes. This nigga fucking made Blade. Yeah. Three fucking Blades. so much. <laughs> this nigga was a nigga vampire killer, and then he thinks he found some white man loophole in the taxes, and then they're like, they threw this nigga in jail like he made Blade zero times. What about plans for season three? Is it, uh, is... Does it seem like it's going to happen or do you have you no. heard anything or? No, pause isn't coming back. We're done. Yeah, we're done. You found that out for sure. Yeah, I, I know that for sure. <laughs> um, was that, was that your decision? Was it disappointing? No, uh, it wasn't my decision. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of disappointing, but I was also drained. It's a draining show because very personal. So I was feeling a little like spent from it, to be honest. And, um, I was going to take a year off anyway. I had kind of vocalized that I wanted to do that. Um, but I just felt like I needed to re-up my energy on it and have something to say. And um, I don't know. I I feel like, you know, this is the industry we're in. You're not really in control of that part of it. You can only make the thing you believe in and put it out there and hope people take to it and hope the network gets it and it all works out and it may or may not 
So I don't get like overly attached to stuff. I'm glad I got to do it. And I feel really good and proud of the thing that I made. And I'm very uh, proud of everybody that worked on the show and put their blood and sweat and tears into making something that was super challenging um, in kind of every way. And I really think we pulled off something cool. And I think it was a little ahead of its time. And people will look back on it and be like, wow, that was a really cool thing that was happening right there. And that's good enough for me. You know, I'm on to other things and exploring other ideas and creating other stuff, which is all I want the ability to do is to just keep making things. So I'm in a good place. So I just had uh, Chris Red on this podcast recently, and we were talking uh, about uh, Bust Down, which is another show that I really enjoyed um, that you guys made, you know, over the past couple of years. Um, you know, I also want to just say that I'm I'm so sorry for the loss of, of Jack Knight. Um and, uh, you know, who co-created that show. And I, I think also wrote on pause. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to ask you anything, you know, too personal or ask you to talk about anything you don't want to talk about, but, um, I wanted to give you the opportunity to, to talk about him a little bit and, and, you know, what made him such a, a unique comedic voice and in, in this, in that space. Uh, I think what made Jack unique was, you know, he was Jack. You just couldn't duplicate his energy in any kind of way. And he was fearless. He was fearless in his joke telling. He was fearless in how he loved. He was fearless in how he went out and experienced the world. Yeah, um, I I would imagine you know that that show also can't exist uh, you know without without him because it really was the was the four of you guys. So you feel like that's a mm-hmm. uh, that's the end of of bust down as well. For sure. I mean, it wasn't supposed to be all this. Tiki was just supposed to be a messy getaway. That's what side pieces are for. Yeah, but did you ever do non-side piece things with her? Like rub her back or listen to her dreams? Of course I did. That's how you get pussy. Mm. But that doesn't mean I'm trying to be with her forever. I gave the bitch a baby. I wasn't trying to have a baby with the bitch. Right. Like if I buy a girl a turtle, I don't have to keep sending them lettuce or calling it on his birthday. Yeah. And I met up with her last night to cool things off. But then Tiki got all wild on Samari shit. And now I think she's gonna blow my whole life up. I can feel her walls closing in on me. And not her no, pussy walls? No, Chris, not her pussy walls. What a shame. You know, just thinking about, you know, the future and, and what you what you want to do, you know, you've 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 done so much, you know, already, uh, and have sort of been getting steadily, you know, more famous over the past few years. How have you handled that experience of of fame and and attention and and media and all that? Because, you know, that it's it was sort of a it's relatively new for you in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it is it's just becoming that. I guess you know, like it's like such a slow rise, and it feels like this movie is turning a corner. Um, I don't know that I know yet, honestly, how I'm gonna deal with it. <laughs> I don't know that I have the the answer to that. Um, I just try to keep it grounded and understand that it's not real. There is that thing of sort of the bigger you get, the the more people sort of are are potentially going to come after you for things. Um, you know, I was I was rewatching some of Pause, and you have that that great episode where you talk about. Um, this, some of this stuff and how when you got SNL, you were kind of worried and about old tweets and, you know, deleting uh, jokes that you had made about people. You know, do you worry about sort of getting big enough to get canceled in a sense, like getting getting big enough that, th- that there's a bigger target on you? No, there's nothing I can do about it. 
<laughs> there's just, I mean, yeah, you're not going to not be ambitious because of that. So you just have to kind of deal with, with what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got a little bit of a, a another taste of that, uh, controversy um after your your netflix special three in the morning came mm-hmm. out um there was some backlash to the bit uh comparing trans women to x-men but we really don't have the answer to that and that's something i didn't think about till he presented it what are we gonna do when trans bitches stop beating up regular bitches as a regular bitch i'm a tad bit concerned not gonna lie I don't want to be in a fight with one of these motherfuckers. Let them fight. No, get this nigga off me. <laughs> this motherfucker is strong in ways I did not expect. Please help. <laughs> and I'm not saying that trans women aren't women. I'm not one of those corny ass women. Trans women are women. Shut the fuck up. But when one of those women's hands is big enough to palm a football <laughs> and she's caving the other woman's chest in, we got to make some notes. Maybe figure out a new approach. How we're gonna work this shit out to move on as a goddamn society. I hate women that don't embrace trans women, though that's corny. They're not real women. Shut up. They're real women. They're doing all they're contouring, they're waxing all the shit. They're doing everything you do, goofy. Fucking their chin hairs, you dumbass. Plus, what are you talking about? Women who don't embrace trans women, what are you saying? What, who do you think we are? We need these super bitches. Are you stupid? These are our X-Men. The world is about to change for us. Get fucking excited. Were you surprised that that, that bit created some controversy or did you sort of know that that would happen? Mm, 50-50. Yeah, because you, you kind of, I mean... It's it's obviously provocative. I mean, you didn't quite get you know Chappelle level backlash, but uh, but it did you know draw some attention. Do you think that part of it is that people expect you to have certain opinions because you're a you know black queer woman and and that you kind of you subvert those expectations in your comedy sometimes, and maybe that's what uh, I mean, yeah, gets I people think, attention. I mean, I think that's a part of it. I think people think that they get to determine how you think about how you look. Um, and when they can't do that, it bothers them. I think another part of it is people don't listen and they're, they're triggered and they don't take things in its full context. And they narrow in on something that bothered them rather than looking at the whole picture of, of what's being said or attempted. Um, I think another part of it is that there's a lot of fucked up shit that goes on in the world and people have a right to be sensitive about it. You know, like, I think all of that is happening. Do you stand by that bit? Do you have any regrets about putting it in your special? No, I don't have any regrets about putting it in my special. I don't like that it hurt people's feelings. People who were truly like feelings hurt. That was my intention. So that I regret. I didn't go out to hurt anybody's feelings. So if you actually walked away hurt by it, then, you know, that's not the type of person I am. Um, But yeah, other than that, no. Yeah, I think that's always a really hard thing with the, that I've talked to a lot of comedians about is intentions versus, you know, how people take something. You know, I remember uh, someone like Bill Burr, you know, saying it really, as long as his intentions are good, it shouldn't matter. And people basically shouldn't be upset about it. But it sounds like you have a, a somewhat different uh, perspective on that. Um, I'm not saying, I don't know that I have a different perspective. I'm I'm just saying I don't like hurting people's feelings. That isn't what I went out to do. Beyond the, you know, the movie and, and, and everything else. And obviously, you know, with, with those shows you're working on ending, what are your big goals moving forward? What are you, uh, Mm. what are you wanting to do? I just want to be able to keep making stuff, man. Like I enjoy 
the process of creating things and in this in this medium of like TV and um you know film and and stand up and being funny and I just want to be able to make things. I don't really have a like it needs to be this or it needs to be that. I just keep making stuff. Um so what I want to do now is our, our segment called the first laugh. So I'm gonna run through some some firsts in your in your career around comedy. Um if we can do this uh quickly to end. Um, going all the way back to childhood, what's the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid? Mm, probably Looney Tunes. That was uh, something you connected to early on? I like cartoons, yeah, just like Bugs Bunny, Elma Fudd. Um, what about the first time that you knew you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe about like seven, eight. What were you, what were you doing at seven or eight to make uh, people in your life laugh? Being silly, just being silly. <laughs> I was just always a silly, silly Billy. You know, I would do character voices and entertain my family and just be silly. I know you got started in in stand up. You know, a little bit uh, later in life. Um, what What do you remember about that very first time getting up to perform stand up? Um, the very, very, very first time I ever did it, I was like twenty something. I want to say I was maybe twenty one. Or 22. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, I just remember it, it not feeling right. Like, I was just like, I don't know if this is for me. That's how I remember feeling. Like, <laughs> and then did you not do it again for a while after that? I didn't do it again until I was 29. First time I did it at 29, I got booed at a open mic that was at a bar, like a VFW post type spot. Um, and then I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it after that. Do you remember the first joke that you wrote and told on stage that really worked, that you felt like really uh, connected with people and, and made you feel like you you had something? Uh, the Mad Men joke. It was a, a Mad Men joke. Can you share it? Or? I'm not going to do the bit. <laughs> well, just an old bit. It's not something you still do, do you? It's, 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 it's documented and out there in the world. <laughs> okay, we can, we, we can find it. You, you can definitely find it. It's like around. But um, yeah, just a joke about Mad Men and how uh, people will talk about white people what did white men lose and then i watched mad men and they lost everything and then it just like runs through this like whole it's just a whole run of silliness but i will watch this stuff fox news you know then i get charged up but what the hell have they lost you know white dudes what the hell are they complaining about let me tune in and i'm like fuck them man they ain't lose shit and they always get to this point in their rhetoric where they talk about they're losing the country i'd be so upset we're losing we're losing what the hell do they lose we're losing what the hell do they lose and then I watched three seasons of Mad Men on Netflix. Holy shit. <laughs> they lost everything. They lost everything. Because at some point, that was really their life. That's what no one understands. Like, we can't think about it because we never lived it. That was their life every day. They could wake up in the morning, <laughs> bourbon on their breath, another woman smell all over their body. <laughs> Walk downstairs, kiss their wife in the mouth. She says nothing. Just serves them pancakes with a perfect butter square in the middle like an Aunt Jemima box. It's perfect pancakes. They eat hearty like a man should, you know? Jump in their American-made Cadillac, swerve all the way to work. Swerve the whole way. They get to work, run upstairs, secretary greets them with double D tits. They have sex with her right there in the middle of the office. Just pull their dick out. They're a white man in America. Why would you hesitate? Soon as you're done having sex with her, she says she's pregnant, you fire her. You're fired, bitch. Get out of here. 
Who the hell told you to get knocked up, you whore? <laughs> go in your office, sleep off your hangover, wake up, go to a business lunch, get drunk again, and get a promotion. And that's what they did every day. <laughs> that was like their life. No interruptions. <laughs> And then like women started thinking and black people wanted to eat sandwiches next to them and no one went to shit. <laughs> they lost everything. That's why they don't want Mexicans to vote. It's a slippery slope, man. What do you remember about your late night stand-up debut? Um, what was the first time that you performed uh, on late night? I've only done one late night. Uh, gym, um, it was nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was fast. That's what I remember. Everything moved so quick. It was over uh, faster than you thought it would be? Yeah, it was like, I got a camera on, babe. It was like, um, it was like, go time. You know, it was like, get up. You walk to the curtain. Then they're like, one, two, you know, three, two, one, curtain. That's a little <laughs> Just go out there, say your little five minutes of jokes. It all just sped. That's what I remember. It was just so quick. And then I remember I was with Jack. And we left and I cried in the car listening to Drake. And then we went to the Hollywood Improv and I think he had a spot there or something. I think that's what we ended up going there. Do you have a story about the first time that you met one of your comedy heroes, uh, someone who you just really looked up to in the comedy world and, and what it was like to meet them for the first time? Uh, not really. I feel like, um, do you not have heroes? No, 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 not that I have heroes. I just don't, it was, none of them were like these really poignant moments, you know? I feel like you meet someone, you know, especially once you get past at the cellar, everyone's like passing through. So like Chris Rock would be there and sitting at the table and then it's like, oh, hey, you know, we'll eventually acknowledge you in some kind of way. And you're like, okay, cool. Like he knows I exist. And then it's like, I don't know, that happens mad more times before you have like a conversation, you know what I mean? So like, I don't know. That first meeting, I, it's never, it's just kind of like, oh, I get to be around this person, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, uh, is there a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Mm. Mm. Could be a show that didn't go well, an audition that didn't go well, something that that sort of uh, was not funny then, but but you you recognize as being funny now. I'm trying to think of any time when I felt like I was like truly like devastated. Um, nothing sticks out to be honest with you. It's just been all, uh, it's been all great. No, but I don't, hang <laughs> on, I don't hang on the, the sad moments. <laughs> so like, it definitely has, it's definitely been stuff, but it's like, yeah, it doesn't have to be sad necessarily, but, uh, embarrassing, um, you know, something that went wrong. I mean, things go wrong all the time. I don't know that, you know, I've had terrible auditions. I don't remember the show, but I went to do an audition for some show and they were like so excited about me that they brought the star in. And I remember just like blowing it. I just remember being like, like, I remember standing there like in the moment, be like, you are absolutely blowing this. You know what I mean? Like it sucked really bad. And I left and I was like, you're really bad at auditioning. Like, like awful. And I was kind of like, I, what are you going to do about that? I remember that. I, <laughs> I think what you have to do is get to the point where you don't have to audition anymore, which maybe after this movie, they'll, you'll get there. I was like, uh, you're going to have to figure out something because you are not good in that arena. <laughs> well, I think you're, you're really great in this, uh, in this new movie. And um, I hope to see you in more stuff like that in the future. And, and thank, thank you. you so much for doing this. No problem. Thank you. 
Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation, and I want to thank Sam J again for coming back on the podcast. I think we did a little better this time. You People is streaming now on Netflix, where you can also see Sam's stand-up special, Three in the Morning. And you can catch up on episodes you may have missed of Pause on HBO Max and Bust Down on Peacock. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.